Hello, and welcome to the Bending Over Backwards podcast, episode one. This week, we have Lena O oh on the show, and we'll be talking about restorative yoga, home practice, starting running, and yin yoga. Find me on Instagram at Kira the Reed, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bending podcast, Twitter at bending podcast. Make sure you check out my Kickstarter at bit.ly slash bending podcast. Give what you can, share as often as you can. If you like the podcast and want more, please support in any way you can. This episode is recorded on borrowed equipment, so if you like it and want more, I need your help. Also, remember to subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share. Today on the show, we're going to be talking a lot about home practice. We'll be talking with Lena about how she practices at home. We'll also be talking about a yin yoga practice specifically. But first, we'll talk about a couple tips on how to start a home practice for yourself. So I'm someone that it's very difficult for me to get on my mat at home and practice for an hour and a half, not only because I have a baby running around and I'm home with him all day, but also because I am a person who loves to make lists and I like to flow without having to think about what my next step will be. For other people, like Lena especially, she's able to get on her mat and go and do what feels good in the moment regardless of how it looks or what the sequencing might be, and that's great. So some tips for finding your way into your own home practice. It's going to take a few tries to get yourself established the home practice. Start with a short practice. Start by getting on your mat and just feeling out a few poses. For some people, you may want to write down a few poses so you're not standing there saying, uh, what do I do next? There are also a lot of great resources out there like books, magazines, and a lot of streaming services now. There's Yoga Glow, Yoga Journal, Daily Burn. These are all things that you can subscribe to and you can get daily videos that will help you with a practice of 30 minutes, 15 minutes, two hours, whatever you like. A great tip for starting a home practice is to create a space for yourself. Create a small area that is just for yoga so that even entering the space, you can start to feel relaxed and start to feel comfortable on your mat and in a different state of mind. It's also nice because you can keep that area cleaner maybe than the rest of your house. I know for me, when I'm on the floor trying to practice yoga, I see all of the dust bunnies. I see all of the things that need to be picked up and it can be a big distraction. So create a space, might make some nice mood lighting, maybe even play some music, make it a time that you can enjoy. It's going to take a few tries to get it right. Don't worry if you get on your mat, do a pose, and find something that distracts you. Let those distractions happen. Get them out of your system. After a few tries, try your hardest to ignore the distractions. Start to focus on just completing a few poses and a few breaths, and then begin to elongate, maybe adding in a few more poses or a few more minutes of meditation if that's what your practice is. The most important thing is to get on your mat and to try. There's no failing. There's no doing a bad job in yoga. As long as you're getting on your mat and making an effort, you have started your home practice. Next up, we'll be talking with Lena O, who is a restorative yoga teacher. She'll be talking about home practice, about restorative yoga, how to practice with a little one, and we'll be talking about yin yoga as well. Lena will be doing a Midsummer's Rest, which is four restorative yoga classes at Fish Moon Yoga, 
and that's going to be July 27th, 29th, 31st, and August 3rd. For more information about Lena or about her workshops, you can visit fishmoonyoga.com. You can also find more information and links on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash bendingpodcast. You teach lots of different styles of yoga, but the one that uh, you are seems like the most passionate about right now is restorative. Yeah, I've been spending more time thinking about it because we have a restorative week coming up at Fish Moon Yoga in Harpswell that I'm helping to teach. And we'll have dates and links for everyone on the Facebook page. So that will be good. Perfect. So who would you say that restorative yoga is targeted to? Like who does it benefit? What does it do? I know a lot of people feel like a restorative is not for me. It's just going in a room and laying down for a few minutes. So maybe explain to me what you feel restorative is about and kind of who it can be targeted at. One of the things I love about restorative is that I really genuinely believe that it's for everyone. My students, they range anywhere from 15, literally, to 80 some odd. Some of them are really into other forms of yoga. Others don't practice any kind of yoga at all other than restorative. It's very accessible. Some of them are very fit and come to my most vigorous vinyasa classes. Some of them don't do anything, Um, maybe a walk. (laughs) I think that one of the reasons why it has that appeal for such a wide range of people is that our society as a whole is so fast paced. And just like we wouldn't, it wouldn't be healthy to spend all day laying on the couch or all day laying on a bolster. It's not healthy to be spending all day rushing from high energy thing to high energy thing. We have to, Mm -hmm. it can be that balance. And what is kind of the benefit of doing restorative yoga besides that relaxation? Is there a physical benefit What's the effect that happens when you take that time on your mat, on your bolster? Yeah, that's a great question because it's relaxing, but it's also profoundly healing because it's based in the belief that our breath, when given room, hasn't any capability to heal. We don't do any like deep stretching. There's no muscular engagement. Instead, the focus can be just on the breath the way it can, the way its path travels within these certain yoga-like shapes. So for example, um, one of them called Twisted Child. It's a lot like the way some of us just sleep regularly at night. But in that position, you don't feel any stretch. You don't feel anything happening in your back. You might have an increased awareness, but what's happening as you breathe in that shape is the quadratus lumborum is lengthening. And so after holding that shape for five, 10, or even 10 or more minutes, most people have decreased lower back pain. Interesting. So it sounds like to me, I I use stress as an example um, of how to explain the class levels. So in a vinyasa class, your muscles take the stress. In a yin class, your tendons and ligaments take the stress. So would you say that in a restorative class, your breath would be taking the stress? There's not a lot of stress in restorative, but, you know, that's the thing that's working. (laughs) Yeah, I would say definitely breath is the primary agent. And then maybe what would be under stress, though, would be your attention. So a lot like in a seated meditation where you're continually tethering your attention to the breath and that just the breath happens to be a convenient anchor for the attention. Really, what you're doing is you're working your mind there, right? 
And so it's the same way with restorative, but rather than just sitting cross-legged, we're maybe laying back in a passive heart opener. So similar to yin, but maybe even for some people, a more advanced form of yin. Whereas in yin, you have that kind of nagging sensation of the tugging of ligaments. Whereas restorative, you don't necessarily have that kind of, oh, this is this is stressful. This is stressful. So you almost have to focus more on those thoughts and that mental aspect of it. Right. Yeah, I think that's a totally true way of looking at it. In some ways, it is harder because you don't have that um, physical sensation to attach to, to keep you mm-hmm. keep you present. You have to be. You have to stay present on your own. Right. Do you, is restorative part of your home practice? I know you have a very strong home practice. Oh my goodness, yes. Every day, something restorative has to happen. One thing I really like about doing it at home, especially now with a one-year-old, how easily it can slip in while I'm multitasking. So mm. when I'm nursing Jasper, I'll have my legs in Baddha Konasana and pay attention to my breath. So while I'm nursing him, I'm also getting in my um, restorative meditation time. Multitasking mom, that's what you got to do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What does your home practice look like? I know that you and I both are people who don't necessarily sit down on our mat for an hour and a half. We kind of do yoga throughout the day, poses, you know, while we sit and watch TV maybe, or, you know, for me, you don't watch TV, but, uh, or while we're cooking or nursing. So what does your home practice look like maybe on a daily basis? Yeah, exactly like how you put it. It's just sneaking it in um, whenever I can. And doing whatever my body feels like it's just dying for, become much more intuitive as a mother and also much more flexible in, because before I would kind of upset, like if I didn't get that straight around two hours of uninterrupted time. And now I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine having 15 minutes without interruption. Do you get that chance to do that hour and a half practice or to be you know on your mat with your eyes closed? Is that something that you have as an option anymore? No. It's definitely not because when um, I think it's complicated as well by the number of classes that I teach per week. So when Mm -hmm. Jasper is napping and that would be a time when if I weren't teaching, I would probably just be doing my personal practice. But the personal practice time also doubles as class planning time. And on Mm -hmm. the one hand, part of me really misses the luxury of being able to just have a personal practice. But then another part of me is really grateful for how teaching has absolutely kept me on my mat, even when it, and I probably would have cut it out on those busy days. Yeah, we're uh, next week we'll be talking with Katie Grant, who does talk about kind of what her yoga practice looks like now and carving out that time to get that eye eyes closed yoga practice and not really an option so much and just trying to figure out how to do it. She has a two-year-old. So figuring out how to do a two-year-old yoga practice is interesting. Yeah, I imagine it must get just more and more interactive. Yeah. So what kind of style yoga do you practice throughout the day? Or, you know, what if you get any kind of length of time to practice when Jasper's asleep, what does your practice look like? Well, before I had Jasper, I had an exclusively very strong vinyasa practice, very Mm -hmm. athletic practice. And I still very much enjoy that now and do that every day. But 
with that, um, with the postpartum concerns of, I now have um, much more frequent rheumatoid arthritis flare-ups than I did before Jasper was born, which is pretty common postpartum. Yeah. So now I have, I usually start out much, like I spend my mornings in those stolen moments um, doing more gentle, gentle yoga. And then the afternoon, which is also when now that the weather is getting nicer, I can bring Jasper outside when I have a more active vinyasa practice. Yep. I find that I now need to stretch when I wake up um, and before I go to sleep too. But mostly when I wake up, I do feel stiff. Whereas before the baby, I could just get up and kind of go, get up and go for a run and then stretch. Now I feel like I need to move my body before I can even start breakfast. Right. And that's not even with rheumatoid. Yeah. Before, um, speaking of stretching, I've been doing some yin over the last, like, I don't know, week since I got Mm. those suggestions from you on how to use yin after running. I've been doing that every day and that's been great, especially because I'm being still on the floor. So Jasper, he thinks I'm playing, I'm watching him and (laughs) he could think that. Yeah. So that segues, we actually have two more topics to talk about and you nailed both of them in that one sentence. So you just started running. Did you use any programs to start or did you just kind of get out and start running? Well, the first day I went, I just went and ran and then I couldn't walk for two days. (laughs) So I changed that plan and I did the, I went through the C25K program and that was really great in making it so that I didn't hurt myself. Yeah. I think because I've always been so active and I feel so comfortable with a strong yoga practice, I just thought that running wasn't that big of a deal, but it's totally different. It's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's energetically very different. Um, I don't remember who explained it to me, but one of the very seasoned yoga teachers explained it as, you know, vinyasa, you kind of create all of this young energy that you can then feed off of. Whereas running, you are just pushing that young energy out behind you like exhaust. So you're creating it and pushing it out. And for some people, you know, they have to get that out so they can focus and so they can sit and be calm. I am uh, not one of those people. So, you know, some people get really jazzed after they run and they have to run before work so they can focus and it's like their coffee. But when I run, I get all of that, you know, young energy out and I need a nap bad. Oh, that's so interesting because I definitely feel like a huge – that's actually what got me started running was it helped – gave me so much energy. Yeah. And so much energy afterward. It kind of helped me f- see a glimpse of who I was before not sleeping at night because of yeah. having a kid. Yeah. You are more – energetic speaking like ayurvedically yeah definitely um all pitta and <laughs> yeah. some vada so pitta is what's pitta is fire or air fire and then vada is the air and i'm a rock that sits <laughs> and watches all but because of that i think uh i have a very strong yin practice Whereas I can't do a handstand to save my life, I can do a lot of intense poses for a long time. So, yay, rocks. <laughs> yeah, you have that patience for it, which is what makes skin so challenging for me. Um, before we move on to you, do you have any tips for people starting to run or wanting to make their running practice a little stronger? Yeah, definitely use those apps on the phone. Get a running buddy. I've been going, I have a couple of friends who I go with 
and one helps me slow down and then my other running partner helps me go faster so it's good to have that full range of someone who challenges you and also someone who helps you take a step back and remember that a conversational pace really means that you can have a conversation during it yeah (laughs) which is hard for me to remember and get a get good shoes and a good jogger stroller I got a real jogger stroller finally shoes are a big deal you don't think I mean, especially the closer to 30 or, you know, beyond you get, you can't just go out in your very thin Nike Eclipse. You have to have some support. You have to have support that's right for your foot. I know I've shown you my running shoes, but my running shoes actually have mesh on the top so that I can wiggle my toes while I run because for some reason my toes fall asleep running. So I had to kind of hunt for a solution for that. Do you have anything special that you have in your shoes, arch support or anything like that? Well, I got a higher arch support, but then yesterday I hit a new record. I did 10 miles and Mm. my inner heel was super pain. So I think it's time to go, go back to get different shoes. I used to get really bad shin splints because I wasn't having enough support. So I had to get support for that. And then those shoes weren't working because my toes fell asleep. And it's a process. I would suggest for listeners out there to go and talk to someone. If you have a running store that you think is maybe too shishy, just go in and talk to them and they'll be very nice and tell you what you need and they will allow you to go to other stores. But it is important for your body during running, which is a pretty aggressive sport on your body. If you think about all the impact points that get hit, it's important to find the right shoe to start that impact, start it off right so it can ricochet the proper way through your bones and muscles. And Right, finding that support, yeah. which is actually in some ways not that different from restorative where you're mm. constantly adjusting props to, um, or every time you enter the shape, you're adjusting your props a little bit differently. So that you're fully supported in the same way with running, finding ways to fully support. So you, I mean, you teach lots of styles. I primarily teach yin and you have started kind of diving into adding that to your home practice. You just mentioned that you did some after running. How do you feel that that compares for you to your other styles? Yin is so hard for me. It's kind of like what we're talking about, the energetic constitutions. Um, Yin is very hard for me to sit and be still. It brings up a lot of impatient and agitated energy for me, which is exactly why I think I need it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. By far the hardest, the hardest out of all the styles for me. So for the listeners who don't know, yin yoga is a practice of holding poses for a longer period of time. So usually between five to eight minutes. And we hold poses not like warrior two or tree, but we hold poses that we can rest on our bones and that we can use support for. So instead of using our muscles to hold the poses, we are using our bone structure. And instead of stressing and stretching our muscles, we are stretching kind of that deeper connective tissue, the bones, ligaments, tendons, synovial fluid and beyond that kind of the meridians which I'll talk about in a future episode but for some people it's very hard to sit there for eight minutes in a pigeon or child's pose yeah because the little bit that you feel when you first go into it that goes up by a hundred yeah within the first minute or two yeah I tell people to use a scale so if zero is laying in shavasana 
and a 10 is doing plank for five minutes and you're at the last four minutes and 30 seconds, that you want to be at about a two. Because for some people, as the pose continues, that two very quickly turns into an eight or nine. Mm -hmm. And for other people, it can start getting easier. So you want to have a place to make it harder throughout the pose or to make it easier. How do you, so I've heard, because we've been talking a lot about props and support throughout Mm -hmm. this conversation. And it reminds me of another Yin teacher who I know in the area who really discourages the use of props in Mm -hmm. her Yin classes because she says that with Yin, you don't want to get too comfortable. So can you talk about... Props are very important for Yin yoga because whether you know it or not, in a lot of poses, you are using your muscles to hold you. So in bound angle, you might feel like your legs are relaxed, like everything is being supported, but it's not. For almost everyone, unless your knees are touching the floor, you're using muscles, you're using tendons. And the only way to get to those deeper connective tissues is to support the more external ones. Because if your muscles are doing any work, then the things below them can't do the work. Mm, that or, makes sense. So for some people, if you get into a pose and um, you are not feeling anything with props, use a smaller prop. Get rid of the prop, maybe. But it's about the feeling. There's no right and wrong way to do these poses. There's a right and wrong way to feel them in your body. So it's not about how they look. It's not. It's all about how they feel. And especially with yin, no one should ever look the same as their neighbor. There's no way to look in a pose in yin. It's all about feeling. And if you feel something, you're doing it right. So um, for some poses, yeah, no props is an option. But I would never suggest to just don't use props. That's not how you do it. I know that there are styles of yin out there that don't use props. I do not come from one of those styles. And knowing the science behind yin, it completely makes sense why you need props. Yeah, it does, especially because you're not actually going for uh, muscle lengthening. You're going for that connective tissue. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You need the the outer layer to relax to get to that deeper. And you can start to feel it. A great example of feeling that is in pigeon forward fold or sleeping swan as we call it in yin if you imagine yourself in an active young sleeping swan or pigeon you have to engage your glutes and thighs and you have to hold yourself up right but in a yin version you have to let yourself go and not everyone is physically built to let themselves go i'm a person that i can come into sleeping swan and my thigh and my glute can touch the mat A lot of people don't. And if you're still holding yourself up, you can't relax down. So tucking a bolster under that thigh can be a great way to get into the pose. And probably using the props is what makes it so that you can stay for like the five, seven minutes that you would without getting fatigued. That's one of the things I tell my newcomers is you're looking for sustainability If you think you can hold the pose for two minutes, that's not sustaining it. You need to be able to hold the pose for 10 minutes or more. We might not be in it for 10 minutes, but you need to have the kind of ease that you could theoretically hold it for that long. And if you're using your muscles to hold you up, you're going to be thinking about how much the pose hurts. You're going to be thinking about 
when is it done? When is it done? When can I get out? Instead of feeling that gentle tug and feeling present in the pose and focusing on your breath, I always use my breath as a guide. So if I am breathing heavily and straining to stay in the pose, I know that it's too much. I need to either use a prop or back out. Mm. If I start breathing too deep, like I'm going to fall asleep, I know it's too easy and I'm not feeling enough. So I can go from there too. Mm. Whereas that's that's one way too to um, guide people in the difference between restorative and yin. Because in restorative, you can totally fall asleep. Yeah. Sometimes every class someone's snoring. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just a gentle wake up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to give a few tips for a home yin practice. I've already given you these weeks this week since you're also starting to add yin to your home practice. But some easy things to do at home. I'm going to post these on the Facebook page so that you can have a image to go with it. But we're going to be doing child's pose, forward fold, wide leg forward fold, And what some might call a restorative pose, but I think fits really nicely into a yin practice, um, supported fish. So I'll post pictures of those on the website for you guys so you can try them at home. Do each of them for five minutes just for your first one. You can try six the next time or eight. So for your first poses, try to do simpler poses. There are really complex yin poses out there like cat pulling its tail. And for some, even pigeon is a little complicated. Let your mind do the work, not your body. So you shouldn't really be stressed physically in any of these poses. And by stressed, I mean kind of gripping to hold on. It's something for a home practice, set the mood, you know, make a nice little nest for yourself, put down some blankets, get the good pillows off the bed, not the ones on the couch. Maybe light a candle if you don't have little ones running around. If you do, um, you can get some dim lights, maybe some of those nice electric candles that um, kids could possibly chew on. And you can also do it after they go to bed and really have a nice bedtime routine. Yin is a great thing to do before bed for 99.9% of people. It's very soothing. It helps calm your energy so you can sleep better at night. And the big tip that I like to give is to set a timer, but use a kitchen timer. I am someone who if I use my phone as a stopwatch, I will check any pop-ups. I'll check Facebook real quick. And very quickly, your yoga, your home practice for yin turns into something else. Lena, did you have any tips or anything that came up while you've started practicing at home? Well, I just so barely started, but um, you suggested using kitchen timer rather than phone timer. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been working well. And I've also let go of and this goes along with everything to do with a person with a home practice as a mother but um letting go of needing to do one side and then the next side right after which is also simple but um yeah definitely take movement between sides yeah and I mean if Jasper needs something then I might do my second side an hour later and that's okay yeah yeah and it's crazy I still I feel the full benefits whereas like with um for example, like in vinyasa, if I have done through one side and Jasper needs me, I'll do it. But I feel like I'm – I feel funny in my body. As Yeah, as I say, you feel like you're walking in circles all day. Right. And I just feel yeah. like uneven. Whereas with the yin, yeah. I noticed if there's a break between sides, it, it's fine. Like I don't – it's fine. 
And the interesting thing is that that goes for the poses, how you feel in them as well. A lot of people have, you know, a right side that's tighter or a left side that's tighter. And I always tell them, don't make it look the same as your right. Do it the way it feels going back to that again. So make sure that it's a three on your left and a three on your right. Don't try to make them match. So you have a five and then a two. And mm, yeah, it's a good one. Do you have any tips for people trying to start a home practice? I know for me, it's really hard to get on my mat at home and do any significant length of yoga. So what are some tips for you pre-baby and even post-baby? I always remember this quote from Osho. I think it was him that said this, um, to not to move the way love would have you move. So when you think when you move, don't think about appearing a certain way. Don't even think about having a perfect flow or a graceful sequence. Just do what feels good. Like maybe what you end up doing is nothing you would ever do in a studio. And that's okay. If you're in your body and you're paying attention and you're breathing a deep breath and you feel better after, you've done it. Like Mm. changing the standards of what a home practice needs to meet, I think is what's key to making it so that it's not like this high expectation checklist where that's more like a gymnastics workout or something you do a, with like P90, right? <laughs> sure, sure. That's a great tip because for those of you listening who know me, I do lists and I do schedules. And so when I sit down to do my home practice, I have my little notebook with what poses I'm going to do in what order. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's not necessarily the right way to do it. And I... I'm learning now that it's okay to get on my mat and just do one or two things that feel good. And it's still very hard for me to not only let go of the list, but to get on my mat at home. I'm very studio based and I just can't get to studios anymore. Possible. Yeah. Especially my husband now works an evening shift. And so that's when a lot of yoga classes are and I have to be home with the baby then. So home practice is very important and learning how to do it for you. So maybe you're someone who does need lists to actually do it. I think I need to get rid of that list to be able to do it. Mm, yeah. Let's make it about self-care. Yeah. Even just sitting there kneeling in child pose. That's it. That can be it. Yeah. With some little wiggles of your wrists. <laughs> yeah. And, and even more you know, going a little more existential with that, you know, when you're doing the dishes, just think about doing the dishes. Don't think about what's next. That can be a yoga practice for some people, you know, for me, who makes lists all day, just standing there doing one thing while I'm doing that one thing is a yoga practice. I couldn't agree with that more. That's so beautiful. I think I, um, actually I found myself, heard myself saying this this morning while I was teaching that, Maybe the advanced practice is one where you're not, where you're just as mindful and you're still in your practice when you're standing in line at the grocery store or standing in front of the kitchen sink doing dishes as you are when you're on your mat and some teacher's telling you what to do. Yeah. I found that when I was a beginner at yoga and trying to bring that yoga into the world, um, I had a lot of interesting lessons. One was to drive home going exactly the speed limit. (laughs) And you don't think about it, but when you're trying to go home after yoga, so your brain's already a little muddled, 
and you have to keep exactly the speed limit, it is the hardest thing. And you wouldn't think it is because we're not all speeding home. <laughs> but it's really hard to go exactly 35 and to go exactly 25 and to feel <laughs> that pressure of people behind you and um, sit with to that see that person in front of you go. Yeah. And to sit with it and have to, you have to, you got to just get home with it. And, um, <laughs> that's a great practice. Uh, I like that. And, you know, standing in line. And if you start to feel yourself being like, oh, this is taking forever. Just realize that the person in front of you has things that they're doing and the person behind you has things that they're doing. And to just not feel such emotion for standing in line and to feel, you know, if you see someone you know, cut off someone else or if someone cuts you off or someone honks their horn to just not feel emotion about it is so hard. Mm-hmm. But, you know, having compassion, I guess, for other people and staying present in that. Exactly. Is all yoga. It's all yoga. Everything we do all day is yoga. And how can you be more mindful about it? And Precisely. Couldn't agree yeah. more. So I think that's a good closing. Real quick, what is your current favorite yoga pose? Uh, so so I think right now my favorite that is Janu Sursasana. Mm. It gets into my hamstrings, which is nice with starting yeah. running. And when revolved, it gets a nice stretch for my quadratus lumborum, which is a place of chronic tightness since carrying a kid on one hip. Absolutely. And you can do it no matter how tired you are. Thank you so much for listening. To find links to any of the things you've heard today or to find pictures of our yin yoga poses, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash bending podcast. Thank you so much for supporting our Kickstarter or sharing either the podcast or our Kickstarter. This is our first week and we have 30 days left to go. We have lots of great rewards on the Kickstarter page, everything from stickers and t-shirts all the way up to a chance to be a host on the show with your own guest. But we can't do it without your help and your support. So please give what you can, share as often as you can. Thank you. Next week, we will have Katie Grant, owner of Dirigo Public House. She'll be talking about balancing work and home, owning a business, and intimacy after baby. I'll also be talking about some tips to help you with your date nights. Remember, subscribe, rate, review, and share. Sharing is caring.